All right. I think it's time to get started. So good afternoon, Mississippi Valley Division. Welcome to our second installment of In the Valley. I am Major General Diana Holland, and I will serve as the moderator for today's event. So for starters, during the last 10 minutes, you had the opportunity to answer our poll question. If I told you your next boss is a woman, what is the first word that comes to mind? And as you see on this, should see on the screen right now, the word cloud that will reflect your answers. And so that's continuing to populate. So it looks like the top, well, still moving around. All right, so the, certainly the biggest word in the center that you see, or if you can't see it, it says great. Looks like the next one is awesome, uh, followed up by good, cool, excited, fantastic. Looks like it scores up there pretty well, too. All right, so I appreciate everybody answering that question and providing those answers. So the poll's going to reset, and for the remainder of the hour, while the guests and I move through our discussion, you'll have the opportunity to vote one more time, and then we'll look at the word cloud again at the end and just see if the results look any different. I would ask that when you send in your vote a second time, you know, give us a little time to get through some of the conversation. Maybe it changes an, an opinion uh, or an idea about a woman as a boss, but we'll just see when we get to the end. So appreciate that, Cameron. Thanks for showing us that slide. All right, so again, thank you for joining us today. I'm looking at our number of participants right at this moment. We've got 278 and climbing. That number is growing. Uh, I'd also like to note that we do have some, some USAFE guests from outside of MVD tuning in to see what this is all about. So I'd like to thank them for joining us as well. So ladies and gentlemen, we in the Mississippi Valley Division are blessed with incredible talent. And we happen to have three female senior leaders, Pat Hemphill, DPM of Vicksburg, Susan Wilson, DPM St. Louis, and Kim Thomas, DPM of Rock Island in our region. And they have graciously, graciously accepted the invitation to be a part of this panel. So these leaders have diverse backgrounds, are exceptionally experienced and widely respected. So it really was a no-brainer to form a panel with these, these three professionals to discuss women in USACE and specifically female leadership in the Mississippi Valley Division. So thank you, ladies, for being willing to do this. I know I'm looking forward to this discussion, and from what I can tell, by the size of the audience, we're over 300 now, they're looking forward to it as well. One administrative note to our audience, if you have questions of this panel on the topic that we're covering today, please enter those questions in the chat, in the chat and as time allows, I will ask a couple of questions towards the end. We'll also be taking your questions in the chat uh, for after the event, if we can't get to them, we'll attempt to answer, well, we won't attempt to answer them. We will answer them, and we'll distribute those answers at a later time. So to begin, I want to start by giving each of these three ladies the opportunity to make opening remarks. We'll take about two to three minutes. I've given them wide purview to talk about whatever they want to talk about. Uh, this will be their time. 
So uh, we'll start things off with Pam, Pat, <laughs> Pat Hemphill. Uh, Pat, over to you. If you could start with some with your introductory remarks. Thank you, ma'am, and, and good afternoon. I hear echoes. Everything. You get my audio good. Audio check. Good. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity to share just a little bit about what everyone would not be able to read. Uh, on my bio, I am a native of Vicksburg. Of course, you know that. But I enjoy being outside. A hard worker. My latest toy is a chainsaw. I'm sure you nobody knows that, but that's how I relieve stress. It's just getting out in the yard and doing some productive things. I really am uh, grateful that I'm bloomed where I planted, so to speak, and that goes back to my love of outside and love of gardening. And again, a native of Vicksburg, and have spent all of my career, the bulk of my career here, uh, with some short-term stints in other places. But just again, I'm glad for this opportunity to share. Over. All right. Thank you, Pat. And we'll go to Susan Wilson next. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, good to talk with you all. Um, I'm going to talk for a few minutes about how I became decided to become an engineer. Um, when I was in high school, I wanted to be uh, went back and forth between a math teacher and a pharmacist. Uh, and when I got into my senior year, I was set on being a high school math teacher. Uh, until my dad came to me and he said, "You know, Susan, I think you should think about becoming an engineer." Uh, he said, I think you can do it. And then I had a chemistry teacher that kind of said the same thing, that I should think about it. Um, and so I decided, well, my brother was going to University of Missouri Rolla, and he was doing it, so uh, maybe I could give it a try and see what happened. So I, I went to school, became an engineer, and then got married and moved to a different state and was looking for an engineering job. Um, I was trying to get settled and, and with everything that goes on with moving, graduating, getting married, and I thought, well, maybe I do want to be a math teacher. So I, I signed up to go to school to get my master's in math. Um, and the first day of class, it was a, a proofs class. And the instructor was sitting there, and he was doing the stuff on the board. And I thought, this is terrible. I have no interest in this. Who who would want to do this? And then the guy next to me said, this is awesome. This is so cool. And I went home that night, and I told my husband, I said, that's it. I'm going back to being an engineer. Uh, so sometimes you just need someone to encourage you to try something, and then sometimes you need to give something a try to realize that maybe that's not the fit. Uh, and I've had that once I've come to the core when I've had people say, you know, Susan, think about what you want to do next, uh, and encouraged me to, to take that next step. So that's all I have for now. Just looking forward to the rest of the discussion. All right. Great comment, Susan. Appreciate that. Okay, over to Kim Thomas. All right, uh, can you hear me? All right, sounds good. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us and giving us this opportunity to discuss just a, a really important topic um, that it's going to take each one of us to, to overcome. Uh, so just a little bit about me. Uh, my pride and joy is my family, especially my four nephews and my niece. Uh, they keep me busy. Um, I work every day to make the world a little bit better place for them to grow up in. And so I grew up in Ashland, Nebraska. So that's um, a little small town between Omaha and Lincoln. And my life pretty much consisted of going to school, playing basketball and softball, 
and really being a part of the family businesses, which were a construction and dredging company, as well as a uh, farming operation. So in my free time, I, I was either walking beans and pulling weeds in the summer, or driving a tractor with a grain cart during harvest, or in a dozer even pushing sand. And what you'll do is you'll probably find me in my free time still doing some of that. Maybe not pulling weeds, but the other two for sure. Um, so I, I had my sights set on medical school, uh, but life events changed. And I figured since my grandfather and my father were both engineers, I figured I could probably do it as well. And so I um, enrolled into engineering school, um, and then I started uh, working for the Corps. Uh, well, I was a co-op student first. Um, and then I graduated, went on the DA intern program for a couple of years, and then ultimately ended up as a uh, geotech engineer, designing airfields, helipads, levees, just things like that. So uh, for about 20 years, I worked in numerous positions in the Omaha district uh, before accepting the DPM job here in Rock Island district uh, just about a little over a year ago. Uh, so I made the move across the state of Iowa, uh, started as a DPM, went to DC Congressionals, we came back and we sent everybody home <laughs> uh, due to COVID. So it's been quite the experience coming into a, a brand new district and division and only have met, you know, some of our folks through web meetings a whole year later. So I just, I'm just so proud to be a part of this team and just amazed at the professionalism, the technical competence, competence and the hard work um, they display every single day in light of all the challenges that uh, we have in front of us. Uh, so just a, just a little bit about my leadership philosophy and passion. Um, I can really sum that up in, in three points. Uh, people delivering the program and selfless service. Uh, for the people portion of it, you know, just leave the organization a better place than when you came into it. You know, every day I challenge our team to be more efficient, effective, and, and push each other to grow to our, our full potential. Um, second one is just delivering the program for the nation. We're just in this amazing organization. A, with awesome projects and programs that are just really better in the nation that we live in. You know, every single day we look for new opportunities to, to take some risk-informed decisions, cut some red tape. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of this. You know, I think especially coming into a new district and a new division, um, I hear a lot, you know, why would we change? We've always, we've always done it that way. And, and that just really challenges me um, because I want to find new ways to do things. Um, and it's, it's an opportunity to lead that change and really get folks on board when they see new ways of doing things that really do save time and money and often result in even less frustration. Um, and then lastly, selfless, selfless service. You know, find time to give back to your community, help your teammates, um, help others in need for the betterment of society. Um, we all have a lot to offer, and so just, you know, reach out to folks. Be that mentor that they need. Um, the smallest gestures just <laughs> make the world go round a little bit, a little bit easier. So uh, finishing up, I'm just so honored to be part of this great district, division, and entire Corps of Engineers enterprise. And I'm just thankful to have the privilege of being on the same team of each one, of every one of you. So uh, thank you, ma'am. All right. Thank you, Kim. And so I'm sure the audience can see why the three of you are in the positions you're in and and why you're a part of this panel or, and are the right ones to talk about about this topic. 
So now I'd like to move on to, to some more pointed questions intended to get after a little bit more about your experiences and how you navigated your very impressive careers. So I, I'm going to start with Kim, um, and it goes to childhood dreams, perceived obstacles. So in a nutshell, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? How did you approach any perceived limitations, assuming you did perceive limitations? Oh, thanks, ma'am, for the question. Um, growing up, I always wanted to be a doctor. You know, as I grew older, um, my passion to become that, a doctor uh, just continued to grow because I really wanted to help people and, and help them feel better. Um, unfortunately, the summer before medical school, I was in a pretty bad jutsy accident. Uh, that left me with multiple broken bones on my left side, an artificial knee, months in the hospital, and years of rehab. Um, it was a big life change for me. And after being in the hospital for so long and so many surgeries, I just decided to, to forego medical school and pursue an engineering degree. Um, growing up, I felt all options were really open to me, and I contributed that to my, my parents were and, and still are amazing supporters. Um, who never limited my dreams. They always challenged me to be, to grow and be diversified and even supported me when I had all these great ideas that they knew uh, would probably fail <laughs> ultimately. Um, but they instilled self-confidence in me um, from the, from very early on as well as independence um, and understanding just that, you know, you can't control what people say to you, but you you really can control how, how you respond to that, and that, that's really what defines you. You know, I think all of these just really formed um, who I am today and emphasizes really the importance of instilling these at an early age and, and really supporting and guiding our um, next generation. Um, I was also really fortunate to grow up in a small community that um, every kid was really valued, and, you know, we always kind of had the motto, aim high, you know, I remember in um, high school and middle school, we'd always have, you know, famous alumni come back and talk to us, and there was never a woman. And at this point, you know, I still felt that all options were open to me, but I was curious as to, as to why there was no uh, female alumni role models. And I remember thinking, you know, are my, are my dreams really possible? You know, is this, is, am I really going to be able to, to go where I want to go? And I I remember asking um, some of those alumni, and, you know, they, they're all, I said, you know, hey, you know, why are women not coming back to talk to us? You know, are, are they really, are women really at the CEO level, you know, and, and do they exist? I mean, would they ever exist? I mean, I was in a small town, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what the world, you know, had, had upon us. So I really, I was still, like, kind of question, questioning that, but, you know, every single one of them um, just put their arms around each one of us and just said, you know, reach for the stars. You know, we're all the same, whether you're a man, woman, white, color, rich or poor, you know, as long as you work hard and have a passion, uh, you'll be the next person back here, you know, as an alumni and inspiring women to do the same. Um, so I think really the moral of the story is, back to, you know, my initial thoughts on selfless service is just, you know, be humble, believe and encourage each other and and really give back to the community. You know, you don't, you just don't know when that simple gesture may inspire somebody to, to really go out and, and do stuff and, and be successful. So um, that's my thoughts. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Kim. 
you know, I took a bunch of notes as you were talking. You ha there was a lot of great nuggets there. Uh, the having a challenge that you had to overcome, people who supported you as you were working through it, and then the focus of selfless service, which helps helps with perspective, certainly through challenging times. So I, I think that was awesome. Um, you know, and I'll go to the to the point about people who make a difference, and I'm going to go next to Pat um, as we think about people who make a difference and who mentor us and, and who are there to help us through thick and thin. Uh, if you could share, Pat, uh, one person um, of choice uh, who made a difference in your career progression, and if you could tell us what it was they said or did to make a difference for you. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, I, you know, when I looked at this question and I thought about my response, you made me go down some very dark halls and corridors that I <laughs> long had since forgotten. But I, I think the one person uh, that, that made a difference in my career progression was um, actually an attorney here at the district. And the one thing that they said or and did that made the difference was I was at, at a crossroads uh, in my career when I was doing a lot of leadership development, and there was an opportunity to do a developmental assignment somewhere, but I had to, of course, break service to do that. And what he said to me was, I wish you wouldn't go. He said, I wish you wouldn't go because you have such value here at this district and that you don't know the impact that you have on people and what your pre difference your presence makes and the future that you have here as a leader. And when he said that, you know, it struck me because no one had ever spoke those words to me with regards to professional uh, career, or no one had ever spoke those words to me here at the organization. And I talked to many people uh, as I was pondering that movement, but that to me was just so profound uh, that you never know who's watching and you never know who uh, who has has their eye on you, or you just never know who can plant a seed in you when it comes from where you least expect it. Yeah, great words of wisdom, Pat. And I think when you said an attorney was the was the person that helped you, that's who you reflected upon. I think I just heard a cheer from all members of the <laughs> Office of Council uh, Community of Practice. Uh, cheering for you so um, yeah thank you for that and I think and you're and that's the second time one of you has mentioned you just never know a small act or uh, you never know when the person you're interacting with what's that, that what that's going to mean later and how it will come back to benefit you so thank you uh, so over to Susan uh, we do talk a lot about mentoring these days uh, there has been certainly an increase in that discussion across all programs, I think, amongst all professions. Uh, we talk about it in our leader development programs. Our schools are talking about it. Uh, it is definitely something I've talked about more in USACE than perhaps previous assignments. So uh, I do, I get the question and I think you do as well, and I'm gonna give you a chance to answer this. What is your recommendation for current employees who are seeking mentors? Well, I think the first thing is don't be afraid to ask. I think so many times people think, 
you know, I'm interested in, in talking more with that person and, and getting their advice, but they're just too busy. I think you'll find that most leaders, um, it, you know, it's one of their favorite things to do. I'm actually mentoring someone right now that reached out to me through TED uh, that's in Savannah District. Um, and, and I'm not smart enough to figure out how she found me, but she read my bio and said, you know, hey, I'm interested. Um, and so, you know, in this case, it's two different divisions, two different districts. We've never even met face-to-face. Uh, but we've been able to establish a relationship, um, and I think it, it's good to sometimes have that different perspective. I've always uh, looked for different mentors, and at any given time, I'll have more than one because uh, it may be a different question or a different situation that I need to reach out to them. Um, so I would just say, you know, ask. Uh, make sure that you have one or two or three, uh, and I think you'll find that it's a, a truly beneficial uh, relationship that you can get a lot out of. Um, so, so don't be afraid or discouraged uh, that, you know, maybe I'm just too early in my career. I should wait until I have more time. Um, you know, I, I think as soon as you get started, uh, you really should start to look for one. Thanks. Yeah, great answer. You know, don't be afraid to ask. I, I can't imagine anybody asked to serve as a mentor would say no. I mean, and that's really the worst thing that could happen. So um, that's a great answer, Susan. So back over to Kim and in continuing the discussion of mentoring, uh, who did you seek out as mentors? And if you could also highlight whether they were mostly men, women, both, whatever the composition was. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've been, I've been fortunate to have um, such great mentors in, in, my, in my career, you know, up until through this day. Um, I remember, like, Looking up at, I think I, I think I was, you know, maybe even a college student at this time. And I remember like being in a meeting with the DPM at this time, and I thought, oh my goodness, that person is so inspirational. But you know, like I can't, <laughs> I can't reach out to them. You know, I'm just, I'm just a student, right? And 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 I had other folks say, you know, reach out to them, right? You know, like they'll be more than happy to to talk with you. And I did, and it, it ended up being to this day. Uh, one of my one of my greatest mentors. So um, I think you know there's kind of there's kind of two ways of of getting mentors. You know, one is kind of selecting them yourself, and the other one is you know mentors reaching out and put their arm around you know folks. And so I just want to emphasize that you know as we as we continue to be leaders in the organization, you know those those folks are looking up to to you. You know, and make sure you're you know being inclusive with them and putting your arm around them, bringing them into the fold, making them feel, you know, comfortable. Um, I just think that we can probably do a better job of that. Um, I think life just gets um, busy and work gets busy and family gets busy and, and we forget. I mean, especially in the COVID world, um, we forget that, you know, we do still need to mentor and we still need to make sure that uh, they feel um, inclusive. Um, I have both male and female mentors. Um, I would say, though, I definitely have more male uh, than female, and I I don't really know why. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure of that. Um, it's just kind of how it has um, worked. But you know, when I look for a mentor, I really look for individuals that are you know going to be honest with me and challenge me and you know help me see different viewpoints and you know someone that I can really build a relationship with. Um, that I can just bounce ideas off, you know, without feeling that I might be judged uh, for what I have to to say. You know, I'll I'll share a personal story with you. Um, I was when I uh, 
was selected for the DPM position here. Um, I was also selected for another position at the same time. And uh, the DPM position, you know, meant that I was going to leave my family, um, but I knew that it would be more challenging and I'd have uh, the ability to, to you know, uh, make the most change. And so I really struggled with it, and um, I reached out to one of my mentors who's an SES in the other division, and I talked to her about it, you know, and, and she said, um, you know, she said, I think, it's, I think it's pretty clear, you know, you need to go where you're challenged. You need to, you know, be in a position that you can affect change. Um, now, I'll tell you, she wasn't going to make the decision for me, although I, I kind of wanted her to <laughs> at the time because I was, I was pretty stressed about it. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, she really challenged me to think, and she kind of gave me that extra nudge and then, you know, assured me that, uh, I probably should take the DPM position. Um, you know, it, it probably was the, the right place. And, and to me, this is exactly what mentoring should be, you know, challenge you, provide you some different viewpoints, reassuring, you know, that change really does make us grow. And then, you know, a leader who um, supported me, even if it meant I was leaving her division, uh, you know, to go to a, another district and division. So, um, you know, I think that I really looked up to that um, more than anything. Like, uh, she wasn't looking at it for herself. She was looking at it for um, the enterprise. And so that's what I really look for in a mentor. And, and um, I would just uh, – completely agree with Susan as well, you know, just reach out to, to folks that, you know, I don't think I've ever seen anybody say no <laughs> to somebody that um, asked them to be their mentor. So that's my thoughts on that. Thanks, Kim. Uh, I think, you know, a couple of things that you all have hit on, uh, trust, building the relationship, people who who will be honest with you and will support you no matter what. Uh, and Kim, we're glad that your mentor encouraged you to be the DPM at Rock Island and that you're an MVD. And, and I think the last thing I'll comment on is it's not, seems to not be unusual that women, professional women have more male mentors than female mentors. And that's probably the pool. Uh, it just, and it's absolutely essential that men are part of that. Uh, the the raising up and the promotion of women and highlighting talent. So thank you for thank you all for that discussion on mentoring. I think that's been incredibly valuable. So moving from that from that topic, I'd like to shift a little bit to challenges and obstacles in your professional lives. And Pat, I'll look to you to lead us off with this. Have you ever experienced or observed negative stereotyping of women? And if so. How have you handled it? Yes. <laughs> and yes. And yes. Absolutely. Uh, during my career, of course, being in a predominantly male environment, it, and, and being in the South, I mean, let me throw that part in there. Southern gentlemen just by nature try to, to do things. They, they don't deliberately, I don't think, uh, intend to do it, but sometimes it, they are deliberate. But yes, I have experienced and observed uh, negative stereotyping. I think the first experience that I'd share would be uh, in the context of the difference between assertiveness and aggressiveness when it comes to women and men. You know, I've observed 
my male counterparts would exhibit the exact same characteristics that I do, and then they're, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then I exhibit those same characteristics, and it's like, well, you need to tone it down a bit. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. So the way that I manage that or handle that is like, I am not going to let my confidence and my um, my delivery be impacted by by your or be be impacted because you're intimidated by me, for lack of a better word. Not to say that that I'm overconfident or that I want to make someone else feel less, but I think the time is way past when women should try to downplay their natural skills, their natural abilities, their natural delivery, their natural leadership, just because someone thinks the little lady shouldn't be doing it like that or shouldn't be saying it like that. Uh, the other experiences have been more with, with work, uh, more than in meetings, and that was, you know, when we were actually out in the field, uh, sometimes the guys would say, well, you just go over, take notes, or sit in the truck, and we're going and no, no, no. It's like I told them in college. I've got to learn how to run this tripod and surveying lab. I've got to learn how to do the soil combinations, the soil testings. So I want to get my hands dirty. That's why I'm here. So just in a, you have to, but it's a balance. It's an art and a balance to to make people understand that that you are there because you want to be and because you're capable and because for lack of a better word, you're, you're confident. You're confident in who you are. And I think a lot of times that intimidates not only men but women, other women as well. And and you were talking about mentors, and I hate to digress, but when sometimes people think you're not approachable. Because we're confident, because you hear us speaking, does not mean that we're not approachable. And it doesn't mean that we don't mind being questioned. But I think sometimes people perceive or think that because of, that we say something and we're deliberate and we're confident because we know what we're talking about, because we know we're going to be challenged, uh, that they're intimidated by that. So those challenges and experiences I think will come, but I don't think they'll come in now as frequent as they used to. I think we're overcoming a lot of the stereotypes by simply educating. Thanks, Pat. That's, what a powerful answer. And one of the things I'll highlight is, it's not just the responsibility of supervisors and those around us to put us in the right place and to facilitate. That's absolutely one of the roles they must uh, serve as, but it is an in, it's incumbent upon individuals to assert themselves and make sure they're not, when given the option, you know, do you want to sit over here or do you want to get your hands dirty, so to speak, figuratively or, or uh, uh, actually. Uh, that we got to step in and do it and take those opportunities whenever the opportunities present themselves. So thanks, Pat. Uh, over to Susan, a slightly broader question. Uh, what gender-related challenges, even beyond stereotyping, have you faced in your career, and how have you overcome them? I think the, the most common one that probably comes to mind is questioning of my authority or a questioning of you know, that's really your job. Um, you know, I can think back, especially when I was the ENC deputy, where I had many times where people would ask, and sometimes I think it's a matter of my 
sex and then my age. You know, I'm young and I look young that would say, what is it you said you do? You know, I think one story uh, back, I was at headquarters for a meeting and I was with two of the branch chiefs from engineering and a couple of headquarters people were there, including some SESers and they, we were all introducing ourselves and they knew a couple of them and, you know, I, I said my title and they said, what is it you said you did again? And they all kind of looked and the two branch chiefs were on either side of me and they both just looked at, at him and they said, she's our boss, like in the story, um, because they were used to it. Uh, and then the, the people at headquarters kind of all went, oh. And, but I think to this day they maybe thought I was uh, a, a daughter of one of the, the branch chiefs um, and thought I was just along for the ride. Um, but I found that over the last few years, uh, you know, those questions have kind of gone away. Um, but how did I overcome them? You know, I've just always been myself. Um, you know, people people may look at me and just kind of dismiss me as a person as the room, kind of like Pat talked about, or just go sit over to the side and take the notes. Uh, you know, but I'm just myself, and I, you know, speak up when I need to speak up, and I'm not afraid of what people might think, um, and just prove it, um, you know, by your actions and, and doing a good job and, and proving you know, what you're capable of uh, on a day-in and day-out basis. Thanks. Great answer, Susan. Your, your uh, experience with folks asking what you do, at least on the uniform side, I have the advantage of, of wearing my rank, and so I don't get that quite so much. I get more of the just the stunned look uh, that I am wearing the uniform and, and what it suggests that I do. So... But you're right, and I think I think we've all touched on it. It is changing. We notice some of these things are happening a little less frequency, frequently, so certainly moving in the right direction. So now I'd like to shift to the topic of leadership and inclusiveness in the workplace, and, and I will start off with Pat on this. What advice, Pat, would you offer to male or female supervisors to be more inclusive of women or un other underrepresented groups? Okay, I'd like to answer this from, from two perspectives. Uh, the first perspective is with regards to recruiting, and that is I'd recommend you look for, uh, you, look, you define your skills, you define what you're looking for, and then you also define uh, what you need. Okay, you get your resumes and you look at it and you, and you interview and don't necessarily focus on what you see or what you see on the resume. Look beyond that and really listen during the interview for potential because some things that may not be quite as evident, uh, and I think as we maybe modify the interview process, we'd be able to ask probing questions to draw out what you're looking for. Are you looking for the person to step in and do the job now, or are you looking for the potential? And that will allow you to take some safe risk. And then as you're doing your succession planning, think about overhiring, and maybe that's where you can take some risk. But at any point, you're going to have to take risk. Now I'll talk about people that are already on your team, and you're looking for someone to fill an assignment, so to speak. But you still have already somebody that fits that into the DEI category, Again, look at the skill sets that you need, look at the tasks that has to be done, and get the best person for the job. Get out of the gender or trying to know, well, this person has family issues or they probably can't do that or, or the limitations. Our job as managers and as supervisors are to make sure that our people have work to do 
Their job is to show up and do the work and get the job done. So I think we limit, we as supervisors especially, try to think ahead and, and to the left and to the right and the why can't. And especially as engineers, we want the finite answer. I know this is the person that I want to do the job because they performed, and everybody's going to come to you and I want that A player. But how is your B player ever going to get to be an A player without being afforded those experiences? You know, I had that conversation with one of my supervisors during a performance appraisal time. They said, well, you hadn't done this, this, and this. And I said, well, I can't assign the work to myself. You have to give me that opportunity. So. It's male and female supervisors really think about leveling the playing field when you afford opportunities for all of your team members to develop. Uh, that That's the beauty of having uh, mentors, mentees, or having your seasoned, I call them seasoned professionals that you kind of look to to train the team, and that's a safe place for them to, to cut their teeth, so to speak, and grow and learn. But, but we have to stop putting limits on people from our perceptions when there really aren't limits there. Thank you. Yeah. Well done, Pat. Thank you. So modifying this question slightly, I'm going to go to Kim. I've, I've been asked this a lot since I've been in USACE. Uh, and, you know, I can give a perspective, but I'm on the uniform side and I'm not always, probably not providing uh, the best possible answer. So, Kim, if an employee feels their supervisor is not inclusive, what would you advise them to do about it? Well, so I have a couple of thoughts on this. Um, first off, I just recommend, you know, talking to your supervisor, uh, building that open, honest, transparent communication. Um, you know, none, none of these are excuses, but, you know, maybe they were distracted or, uh, maybe they didn't realize that they weren't being inclusive. Um, there could be a whole slug of some miscommunication um, that can be probably cleared up with a simple um, conversation. Um, I know that for myself, I want everybody to feel included, but um, there's sometimes that either I get pulled in so many directions that I inadvertently, you know, leave someone out of a of a conversation or or an email, or, you know, sometimes it's just a, a time factor. Um, it happens, and it's, it's not intentional or, or trying to exclude anyone. Um, I think probably the second thought on that is is just be proactive. You know, if talking to your supervisor doesn't change things, um, set up, step up and, you know, set those examples of being inclusive. Um, people will naturally gravitate uh, to inclusive behavior because uh, they want to be you know, part of the group, and, you know, then hopefully your supervisor uh, picks up on that and uh, joins in. You know, it's it's all about uh, creating the environment, and I think that, you know, not not one person or not just leaders, nobody um, alone can do this. It's going to take all of us to, 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 really, to really work on it. Over. Yeah, super. Kim, I guarantee you gave a better answer than I did, so... Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I think now is probably a good time. We're, we're in the second half of the forum, so I want to move uh, to one of the final questions, and, and it regards the topic of COVID in the workplace. So for the audience, uh, the flyer we published to advertise this episode of In the Valley included a link to the McKinsey report that covered some unique aspects that the pandemic is having on women in general, 
and even more acutely on women of color and mothers. And I just so happened, just a couple days ago, read an article in the Wall Street Journal that says there are 1.5 million fewer mothers in the workplace today than was the case in early 2020. I think we can agree that's a stunning statistic, and that's going to have ramifications in the decades to come. So uh, back to our world, though. Uh, so it's important that we think about, you know, what is what is what is the pandemic meant for USAs? And so, Susan, for the next question, what impacts do you think COVID has had on women in USAs, and how can leaders and supervisors help? I mean, I think it's definitely like, uh, added a whole nother layer of um, thought and potential stress on everyone. Um, but I'm going to talk as a, a working mother of, of three kids. Um, you know, I, I get it, the, the stress that is on you. It's, you know, making sure in the morning, assessing everyone's uh, symptoms. So my kids go to school, um, but you got to make sure cough, cold, you know, and kids a lot of times think my stomach hurts, and you think, is it stomach hurt or is it just you saying that? Um, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night last night, uh, realized I hadn't plugged my youngest uh, uh, Chromebook in. It has to be charged every day for school. Um, and so it's stuff that's waking you up at night, like, that you didn't have to deal with before. Um, you know, the people, the kids, they're in with them day in, day out. Um, you know, I know how stressful that can be uh, as you're trying to help your kids learn and you're working through it all. Um, so I think one of the things uh, that we are all fortunate is that we work for a great organization, um, and most of the supervisors, all the ones I've encountered, are really respectful of that. Uh, and we've used a lot of the workplace flexibilities, such as MaxiFlex and stuff like that, um, to try and help accommodate that. Uh, you know, but something that I do kind of try and bring up, um, you know, I know the session is focused on women, but I know a lot of dads out there that, uh, you know, maybe their spouses. Uh, I have a neighbor, she's a doctor, so she's been, um, you know, having to go into the workplace every day. And so it, it fell a lot on him. Um, so I think as supervisors in general, we need to realize, um, you know, that the stress that it has on and everyone's situation is different and just be respectful of that, um, you know, offer up those flexibilities, uh, and then just check in on people. Um, you know, I, I know I talk about my kids a lot, uh, so people know uh, tomorrow's their last virtual Friday. Uh, thank goodness, but uh, I think most of the people that work closely with me know that come at the end of a virtual Friday, I'm about ready to pull my hair out, uh, so I'm, I'm glad to have that. Um, but I think it's just making sure that we're appreciative of that fact, of everything that's going on in people's lives, and, and we're, we're communicating. Thank you, Susan, for those insights. One of the reasons I asked Susan that question is that uh, every time I see her, I ask her about how it's going with her, the virtual learning for, for her kids. And I am absolutely astounded at how she's managing all of that, as well as some of the education they're getting, the things that I can't imagine. Uh, certainly I didn't have those, uh, some, part, some of that education or that experience when I was their age. So thanks, Susan, for sharing that with the audience. Okay, so the last topic has to do with looking to the future. And I think we're going to close with Pat having the last word. Uh, so, Pat, are, are you confident about the future of diversity in USAFE? Yes or no? And what can the current generation of leaders do to make the DEI successful? Yes, I am very confident about the future of diversity in USAFE. Uh, 
And I offer that because whenever someone approaches me about how do you get a job with the Corps and, and how do you progress with your career in the, in the Corps, I always instill in them, I'll tell you what my papa told me, and that's you show up, you do your very best, and then you watch what happens. So I believe that the future of the workforce coming behind us are going to be prepared, and they will show up. They'll show up to the interviews. They'll show up on our, you know, for our career fairs. They will show up, and they want to, want to be a part of this great organization. So what our current generation of leaders can do is, is get out of themselves. And I say that because we see we see the now more people, you know, we have to keep reinforcing the fact that there's no I in teams. It's a we. So when I say think more about other people and developing the ones that are going to fill your shoes and be more inclusive, and we're not just talking race, color, or, you know, or ethnics. We're talking, you know, different abilities. I don't like the word disability because I believe everyone is uniquely gifted to do something. So we just have to open our eyes and open opportunities and make ourselves available, as someone has already said, to go out there and be accessible, be there where somebody can touch you or ask you a question. Uh, and I think that will be the biggest force multiplier in ensuring that we have a diverse workforce that is representative of this great country that we serve. Thanks, Pat. And and I'll and I'll tag on to that one as well is every one of us can do something about it. Every one of us every day. If we at the end of the day every person in USA, certainly every leader in USA asks, what did I do today to help with diversity, equity and or inclusiveness? Um, we're absolutely going to move in the right direction. And I agree with you. I'm very optimistic. Uh, USACE is taking it very seriously, starting from our chief, all the commanders, and all of our civilian leaders. So it's a great time to be in the Army and to be in the Corps of Engineers. Okay, so this has been a great discussion. I appreciate everybody's uh, thoughtful answers and for everybody's patience as, as you listen to our discussion. Uh, we do have a couple of minutes. And I have a couple of questions from the audience that I've been collecting here from the chat. So I'm going to start with Kim. Uh, question is, how do you differentiate yourself among leaders, assuming you do try? So let's maybe, uh, do you try to differentiate yourself among leaders? If yes, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I do differentiate myself among among leaders. Um, I, I think that I just stay. I stay true to myself, you know. And I think a couple of words for that: um, simple and basic. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes simple and basic to me is is just the the clearest way uh, to move forward. Um, I'm a pretty open book. I'm honest, maybe too honest at at sometimes to 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 feedback to to folks. But um, I think I think it goes back to just staying true to yourself um, and just how you naturally are. You know, don't try to don't try to change yourself for for anything or, or try to be somebody different. Over. Anybody else, Susan? You want to you want to take a stab at that one? How do you differentiate yourself among leaders? 
I think by being myself. Um, and, you know, I think many that know me know uh, taking care of people is one of my biggest uh, priorities. It has been before it became, you know, one of our, our slogans. Um, you know, but just looking out uh, for the, the personal side of people um, and taking that time to make those connections. Um, and then, like I said, just being open and honest with who I am. Um, you know, there's not much that I keep from other people. Um, and I think just being genuine uh, goes a long way. All right. Good. Um, okay, we have a question. Favorite book about women in leadership or other great reads? So I'm just going to throw that out there. Actually, I'll offer my own. Uh, recently I read, and now I'm going to draw a blank of the author, but Women Rising, a uh, great book about 12 character traits that uh, observers tend to see in women that prevents them from achieving, you know, reaching the highest levels that might uh, prevent them from moving forward, self-inflicted. So it's very interesting. I hate to generalize about genders or any other demographic, but it was an interesting read. Any other books anybody on the, in the panel would like to offer up? You know, all offer, this, all this, oh, go ahead, Pat. No, I'd offer monkey management. I offer that because a lot of times that, that book has some great tips on how to not let people make their problems your problem. You got it. <laughs> See, Susan has it, too. Mine was How to Be an Inclusive Leader by um, <laughs> Jennifer Brown. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a good one, too, Pat. Hey, I'm being asked, I think it's about, Pat, what you said, what is the name of that book? Monkey Management. Okay. There you have it. All right. So I have a couple a couple of other questions here, but I'm, I'm essentially out of time. Uh, we want to now go to how you answered the poll question as we were talking. So, Cameron, if you can can share that with us. Okay. Well, actually, I see a lot of, let's see, so the top five, great, awesome, fantastic, good, cool. That's actually pretty similar to what we saw at the beginning. So maybe the word great looks even bigger than it did on the front end. So um, either we had more votes or you all just communicated really well, as as, I, as you always do. So Thanks for that. I really appreciate the audience answering uh, that poll question. And for the other questions we weren't able to get to, we've taken them down, and we'll make sure that we capture those, get everybody's answers to that, uh, including there was one about work-life balance. There was one about who do you admire. So um, we'll be sure to answer those and distribute them appropriately, and you'll be able to see how we did that. All right. So in closing, I want to take a couple of moments uh, to thank the team who made this event possible. A lot of planning and work went on behind the scenes over the last two months for this to work and run smooth it, smoothly. That included the people in the MVD staff, some key enablers from ERDIC, our employees who are in the region's Emerging Leader Program. Big shout out to them. They have really empowered this, this uh, forum and, and made it possible. They've a lot of creativity behind the scenes, 
and uh, it's been really gratifying, so thank you. And of course, I want to thank our panelists, Pat, Susan, and Kim, who have very busy schedules. Uh, I, what I didn't mention at the very beginning, and I should have, is that, you know, I don't know, we always have Murphy involved in our business. You know, the one hour, the one day of the year that the system, that, that Outlook and the network is going to collapse in Vicksburg happened about 20 minutes before we started this. And so that's why you saw Pat scrambling uh, to join us. Uh, we were all facing it, but we've, uh, anyway, we were able to overcome and I'm glad we were able to pull this off. So Pat, thank you for being flexible and ready to answer that question because you were the first one out of the shoot too. So, um, but anyway, thanks to all that have made this pop uh, possible. Equally important is that we see the audience support and interest uh, if we don't have that, we we really don't have a reason to devote the resources and time uh, into doing things like this. So um, speaking of interest, uh, a reminder that you can provide feedback to this event to eat through the chat or via email to cembd-pa at usace.army.mil. Uh, and when you provide feedback, you can, you can tell us what you thought of this, uh, how it could be better, but you can also provide feedback as to what you'd like to see in the next installment. My goal is to do these once per quarter, so the next one will likely be in the July timeframe. Send us your feedback, tell us how we can do better and what you'd like to hear about down the road. So without further ado, I hope you all have a wonderful day. I appreciate what each and every one of you does every day in support of the people and resources in the Mississippi Valley and across the nation, and we are signing off from Vicksburg, Mississippi. Thanks, everybody.